Hey there, welcome to the Soulful IVF Podcast. Here we're all about empowerment and living our lives fully as we navigate through fertility treatments. In this space, you're invited to live in possibility. My name is Lisa and I'm your host, an occupational therapist turned IVF mama, soulful IVF coach and best-selling author. I'm here as your guide to walk alongside you, helping you lean in, keep that light alive and optimize this path. Here we have real, raw, heartfelt conversations about fertility and about life, covering the science and the soul. You'll hear from other women who have walked this path, fertility experts, and so much more. These inspiring conversations are here to help keep you moving forward, stay informed, and remind you you're not alone. We walk together. Buckle in and hold on, baby. You're in for quite the adventure. Let it begin. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for being here and tuning in for this week's episode. I'm bringing back one again from the vault. It's a conversation I had with Dr. Green back in October of 2020. And we all remember what was happening at that time, right? In 2020. Um, This episode covers egg quality and some key things to consider uh, as you're navigating through your fertility path. Again, these are independent perspectives that Dr. Green shared with me back in October of 2020. And I'm sure the research has advanced quite a bit since that time. So just take all that into consideration. But there's some really valuable information that I hope supports you as you're moving moving forward on your fertility path. And yeah, enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Clinical Conversations with Lisa White. And I'm talking with our friend, Dr. Green. Hey, Dr. Green. Hey, how's it going, Lisa? Great. Thank you for doing these with me. We have another clinical conversation scheduled and I appreciate, you know, you being so open to, to sharing your knowledge and having these conversations with me. Absolutely. I enjoy it. Thanks. So one of the big questions lately that's been coming in is about egg quality. And you've shared with me that this is a common conversation that you have with new clients. Um, I just would love to kind of like have a discussion with you. And this may be a series of talks. I don't think we can cover quite nearly all that we want to in this, in this talk today, but I would love to just um, have your, have you share some, you know, knowledge and just what you can open our eyes to about egg quality. Yeah. You know, egg quality is arguably the most important determining factor for success, okay? And, you know, it's really kind of shocking. I point this out to patients every day, and we've talked about this previously. Mm-hmm. 25-year-old woman trying to get pregnant over one cycle with a very fertile partner, okay? You know, the one the one-month pregnancy rate for that woman that's technically at her peak fertility is roughly about 25%. Yeah, not very high. And the point of that is typically there's only one egg available on any given month. Mm. And one of the things we've learned uh, you know, through the IVF process, for instance, is if you look at the eggs from egg donors, you know, usually six eggs is enough to make one baby and sometimes two and very rarely three. And that's why, for instance, people that are looking at, at working with an egg bank Because with frozen eggs, for instance, they usually release eight to 10 eggs with the goal of having one baby. Because when you freeze eggs, that could compromise quality even more. So the point is, the reason that our one-month pregnancy rate is as low as it is, is simply because of egg quality. 
Mm-hmm. And if a woman, if, if, if even a very fertile woman, about one out of every three or four eggs is a good egg, and in a natural cycle, there's only one egg being produced, if it's a bad egg that month, you're done. And nothing else you could do is going to turn that around. You know, and so the point is, is that egg quality is undoubtedly the single most determining factor of success in any given cycle. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that. You know, someone who's 25, relatively young, and just your chances of it happening, getting pregnant right away with a good egg. I mean, it's just... <laughs> exactly. And, and what makes it more challenging is that the eggs are tucked so neatly away inside the body where we can't see them. Mm-hmm. Look at sperm, for instance. Sperm is very accessible and able to be looked at under the microscope. So everyone is able to look under the microscope and they find it very easy to accept that basically about four to eight percent of sperm are normal because the sperm shape is a great indicator. It's not a perfect indicator, but it's highly suggestive of sperm quality. So, but that's roughly about one out of 15 sperm. But then when you tell someone that only about one out of every three to eight eggs is a good egg, depending on a woman's age, then, you know, you could understand that, you know, you know, biology is the way it is. And if we're willing to accept the fact that so many sperm are abnormal, people should understand why it is that the per cycle pregnancy rate for natural conception is as low as it is. And then, you know, then when you start to deal with the fact that, you know, infertility itself is not diagnosed based on inability to get pregnant one month. Mm-hmm. It's over a series of months, you know, and, and what it's thought to be is, well, you've given enough opportunity for a good egg and a good sperm to get together naturally. And that's why infertility is diagnosed with a calendar mm-hmm. more often than it is with any one specific test. Mm-hmm. But yet there's no easy way to test egg quality, especially before someone starts any sort of treatment. And that's why, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to people about egg quality and different things that are involved. And and I even try to break down as to to how I define egg quality, because there is no uniform definition for egg quality, except an egg that successfully results in a live birth. But, you know, you can only diagnose that with hindsight, not with foresight. How do you break down? What is what are your criteria? Like, yeah. And, and, and that's a great place to start because the reality is nobody could look at any woman and say, you've got a bad group of eggs this month or you've got a good group of eggs. There's mm-hmm. no way to know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you look uh, at numbers though. You look at like, well, you have- look at numbers that only tells you how many eggs that you can expect to recover. But a classic example, for instance, Many women with PCOS, that condition that people often refer to as PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, Mm -hmm. some of those patients could produce 40 or 50 eggs and have one or two good ones in there, okay? Mm -hmm. So egg numbers don't always correlate to egg quality. While you're on the number, well, at the beginning, when a client comes to see you and they're going through the testing, like, what I forget what time in the cycle do you look at? egg numbers and then egg quality, yeah. like, are they tied? Well, you know, yeah, what we try to do is, is we try to look at how many eggs do we think any one person is capable of producing? And that's 
through a combination of, of things we can measure based on ultrasound and various hormones and tests in the blood. Then we look at their overall health and wellness. We look at their age. We also look at their history. Is someone, you know, ever been pregnant before? Have they had miscarriages? Because for instance, you know, you know, I know that, that this is, you know, Fertility Awareness Month. There's a lot of addi additional focus yeah. on miscarriages. Yeah. A lot of miscarriages are due to egg quality. Mm. You know, that if someone has eggs that are, are insufficient quality for a variety of different reasons, that could result in pregnancies that initiate, but then don't continue. You know, and yeah. so one of the most important things is trying to first start to, by, by defining what is egg quality, because as I mentioned, there is no uniform definition. Okay. So what I try to do is I try to think of different aspects of egg quality. One critical aspect of egg quality is DNA, okay? Mm -hmm. Not every egg has the same number of genes and chromosomes that it's supposed to, meaning, you know, 23 pairs of perfectly matched chromosomes. Mm -hmm. and, and that alone can, you know, right there make any embryo impossible to result in a healthy live birth, no matter how good the sperm is, right. okay? Yeah. A second aspect of egg quality is something called the mitochondria. The mitochondria are considered the little powerhouse, you know, or some yeah. people like to think of them as the batteries, you know, that, that, that power the egg. But they're much more than that because the egg has to have enough of these mitochondria, not just to support the egg, but to support the embryo for the first many days after fertilization takes place. So it's almost like the egg has to have extra batteries to divide up amongst all the cells that the egg divides into. Okay. And there's other structures within the egg, including, you know, just the egg's membrane itself. Yeah. If the egg's membrane itself is fragile, then the egg could be more likely to fracture rather than hatch and fertilize normally. And then if all that isn't enough to think about, there's all the different aspects of metabolism within the eggs, the proteins and the different things the egg has to first start off with, but then be able to continue to produce in sufficient quantity to pass off to all the, what are called daughter cells. There are no son cells, <laughs> all the daughter cells that that egg divides into after it's been fertilized. Wow, there's almost like really four qualities then. That's, that, that's the way I think of it. Yeah. But again, there is no uniform definition for this. And, you know, part, part of this is, you know, really what we're discussing right now has to a certain degree been a cumulative learning process of the last 25 years. This is not the way it's taught. Yeah. You know, the way it's, it's traditionally taught is you just get as many eggs as you can and you hope there's a good one in there. Mm. Well, to me, that's not good enough. I think we should try to design a cycle whether it's natural, whether it's, it's with IUI or whether it's with IVF, by first trying to start off and say, here are some of the things that I think would be really good to try to optimize the egg quality. Mm. And to the partner, here's some things to optimize the sperm quality. Because if you don't have that, nothing else that we have is gonna overcome that. And, and you know, part of what's important is even though success rates keep getting better and better, we're never gonna get into the 90 plus success rates unless we, we focus on these key aspects mm -hmm. of physiology to begin with. Just to kind of highlight like women 
are born with all the eggs they'll ever have. Mm-hmm. So we're born with all the eggs that we'll ever have as women. And can you review some of the statistics or what data you have to inform us about decline in numbers or if you have data like regarding yeah. quality? Um, well, this, this is one of the, the really important emerging things that we're finding of the, of the last year or two, okay? Mm-hmm. Is when we talk about you know the egg number, it does decline over time. You know, it declines greatest at the greatest rate, believe it or not, between about 20 weeks gestation and delivery. You know, um, you know, you know, it, it fetus, you know, female fetuses have their peak egg number around halfway through pregnancy. Wow. And then they lose over 80% of them before they're ever born. Okay. And then they lose about half of the remaining ones before they ever hit puberty. Okay. Mm. And the point is, is there's this natural winnowing process that's, and it's estimated that most women, by the time they start, or most girls, I should say, by the time they start puberty, mm-hmm. have fewer than a million eggs. Okay. Yeah. Roughly about 800,000. And the only reason I, you know, I, I think that's important to point out when you consider that a typical normal guy has about 20 million sperm per cc in each ejaculate, and, and that there's anywhere from two to four cc's, that's each time. Okay. Wow. So, you know, it just shows how different the male versus the female biology is. Mm -hmm. But what's critically important is that all of those eggs go into a metabolic, you know, rest, you know, before that infant girl is ever born. You could almost think of it as like a prolonged hibernation Mm -hmm. where the eggs are alive, but they're not metabolically active. Okay. Okay. And they stay that way until puberty. And then at puberty, they start, well, yeah, but it's not sudden. They start waking up in very small groups, okay? Okay. And so at any given moment, most of the eggs, more than 99% of them are dormant, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, each month there's a group that wakes up, you know, and, and it takes that group several months to mature. And that used to be the paradigm of what we believed and that each month there was like one wave of eggs. The newer research shows that that's not true, that each month there are several different waves of eggs that are growing. Okay. So, you know, that th- there does tend to be a dominant wave, but there's also ones at various other stages. And this is sort of critical to understanding of egg quality, because one of the things that we see with egg quality, as we were talking a moment ago, is the issue of DNA. And it's kind of interesting because if you look at the curve for DNA quality, you know, which is an objective measurable thing in terms of just the number and the amount of DNA and whether it matches up, that peaks in terms of, of uh, you know, the, the genetic quality, typically in the early to mid 20s. And, uh, you know, and mm. so, you know, what I'm getting at, which is very new information, is that girls in their teens have lower quality eggs, technically from this DNA marker than women in their 20s. Okay. You it know, maturity. And, it takes a maturity for the eggs too. 
Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it, it actually has to do with the way that the eggs arrest and go into hibernation. And that the eggs that are the first ones waking up, again, I use the term hibernation because you could imagine, for instance, when you, when you first wake up in the morning, it might take you a little while till you feel fully awake and alert and yeah. able to do your peak performance. You know what I'm saying? And the same thing seems to happen that a lot of the early eggs, the ones that are waking up first, even though they're becoming metabolically active early, they tend to have these you know, these, you know, what are called disjunction arrests where the DNA doesn't separate properly because the egg has to release 23 chromosomes in order to accept 23 from the sperm. Huh. And so, you know, so it's kind of interesting. So unlike what people used to think that egg quality starts high and gradually goes down, what we understand now is egg quality starts low gets better and stays better for a while and then goes down. Okay. And for most women, the peak egg quality that's measurable in the DNA is in the mid twenties. And is there anything we can do to control or enhance? Is it best to just let the hibernation period take its course and like let them wake up? There, there's really, there's really no way that we have of altering it today. It's really only for the last several years that we've had genetic testing that was sophisticated enough to measure this. Wow. That's why this is all very new and cutting edge information. It had long been observed that, that you know, younger women often had higher risks of miscarriage and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and you know, people you know, talk about teen pregnancy rate being as high as it is. But when you look at the frequency of teen sex, mm -hmm. the per you know, fre you know, frequency of sex is actually lower in terms of resulting in pregnancy than women in their 20s. Hmm. Oh my gosh, so much news. And how long, like knowing this information, you said it's relatively new. How, how new, like with the- Literally, literally they, these were some, some of the hottest topics just discussed at the recent international fertility meeting, because again, it's been taking some of the most recent DNA studies to prove this. Uh, but it's it's fascinating, and and you know, a lot of this was actually studied by looking at, at eggs from you know women that had to have their ovaries removed at various ages, and comparing the DNA in the eggs you know, uh, which again okay. is an objective measurement of egg quality. And it was starting to explain some of the things that, that we've observed over the many years. Because like, for instance, you know, I always tell people, for instance, when I've been talking to patients that need to select an egg donor. I've told people for many years that the best egg donors were between 22 and 28 years of age. Oh. And a lot of people are like, well, I've got this 20-year-old egg donor. Like, I'd be a little bit hesitant. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and it, but that was all based on clinical observation. And we never knew why that was. Now we're starting to understand why. So 22 to 28 is ideal? Well, if you're looking at groups of people. And, and the, key, the thing that's always important to keep in mind is there's a lot of individual variation. You know, just like some people go into puberty earlier or menopause later than others, but there's a certain range of what you typically expect. I don't like to use the word normal because there is a, a wide range yeah. of normal, yes, typical. but the typical is 22 to 28. 22 to 28. Okay. 
Is there an age um, where it's not a, well, like where you don't accept egg donors or do you accept any? Well, yeah, put it this way. Any egg donor is typically retired at age 32. Wow. Unless somebody wants that donor to come back for a sibling. You know, like for instance, if someone's had a previous child with that egg donor and there's no more eggs available and they want to have a sibling, but we don't, we don't use any egg donors after age 32, okay. just because we know that by then the egg quality is changing for the opposite reason, which is again, still related to often changes in DNA, but, but you know, a, a different place in the genetic sequence that goes wrong than in the younger egg, you know, younger patients. Okay. And then to test for the DNA, obviously it's that genetic test that we, the not yeah. the TA one, is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Looking for aneuploidy, you know, seeing if there's missing or extra chunks of DNA. But that's something that can only be revealed in the IVF process. Yeah. But it often explains, as we talked about previously, why people that everything else looked good on paper, why they were not getting pregnant and being treated under a diagnosis of unspecified infertility, because you can't measure egg quality until you actually have the ability to see the eggs and to test the eggs and to see how many fertilize and, and yeah. then test the embryos. Yeah, no, I, it's a I, lot to take in. It is. Thank goodness for the science. <laughs> Very great. Well, like I said, it's, it's how we keep learning so that not only can we keep delivering better and better results, but also how do we advance the science to push it into how we do even better in the years to come. And so one of the things that I focus on a lot today, and maybe this is a good point to, to transition into our next conversation, is trying to talk to people more about some of the things that they might be able to do interventionally yes. to try to optimize egg quality. Because based on everything we understand today, you can't really change these inherent DNA issues within the egg. But there are some other things that, that women might be able to do that can boost the, the, the chance of making a fair egg into a good egg. Nothing's going to make a bad egg into a good egg, yeah. but you want to prevent a fair egg from becoming a poor egg before it has the chance to be fertilized. Yeah, no, I love that. We'll, we'll keep people, you know, I think a lot of people will be interested in hearing what, what things they can do to enhance egg quality and yeah. Yeah, right on. Fair egg into a good egg, and there's yeah, yeah. more we could cover, but I think that's good for for today. Sharing about yeah, I mean the main most important things. So yeah, so I mean the main point is is that egg quality is not measurable, and so it's not something we should take for granted and always just assume it's fantastic. Let's try to do everything we can to optimize egg quality, and also be humble in knowing that we can't know what the egg quality is until we actually have success one way or another. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to talk about this important topic. I know you probably talk about it like to, for all day, every day, right? This is probably one yeah, of the- but, but Yeah, it's, but it's so important. Yeah. I think the more people that hear it, the, the more they're gonna reduce the frustration as well as the more they're gonna be able to make them better decisions with their, their diet, with their lifestyle, and with the things that they could do to act as their own advocate. For sure. Yeah, no, I'm a big believer. You got to be active in this process, be your own, you know, best advocate and just empower yourself through this process. 
Um, and you have a wonderful blog, Enhancing Fertility. I'll share that with people, enhancingfertility.com. And for anyone who's on this path and looking for individual personalized support um, to support them through this emotional roller coaster, which Dr. Green also knows as well as being a, a client who has gone through IVF, um, a patient, um, you know, reach out to me at ivfmanifestingamiracle.com. And thank you, Dr. Green, you wrote my forward in my book too. Thank you very much for hold on. Baby. Absolutely. Appreciate Have it. a happy you. day. Yes, you too. Much love to everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you received some added guidance, inspiration, or new insights to help keep you moving forward on your fertility path. Your support is appreciated more than you know. Thank you for helping spread the word of this podcast. And if you feel called, please like, comment, and share with others who you think may love these soulful conversations. I'm so grateful for all of your reviews. My hope is that you're finding value in this show. Know that we walk together. Stay tuned for the next episode coming soon and follow along on all social platforms linked in the notes below. There you will also find ways to work with me, book a connection call, and get support on your path to parenthood. I welcome topics you'd like to hear about, so feel free to send me a message. I absolutely love connecting with you. Remember to keep that light alive always. Till next time. This is where it begins. Letting the light in, soaking it in. Darling, don't you know that you've got a gift? So look deep within and make a wish. Let it lead how you live and let it begin.